Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. This week, we have several testing tongue twisters to test the tenacious tongue. We're all about the General Insurance Code Governance Committee and the Life Insurers Code Compliance Committee. Get your ears around these. Wendy can't get an invitation to the Steadfast Conference, but no matter. We sent her to listen into the federal budget. I thought a thought, but the thought I thought wasn't the thought I thought I thought. If the thought I thought I thought had been the thought I thought, I wouldn't have thought I thought. Or to put it another way, what can we learn from this once in a thousand year event that seems to have come around three times this year? Hello, everyone. I'm staring at three very confused insurance experts, Chairman Terry McMullen, Editor John Deeks, and Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh. Hello, Terry. Good morning. It's a particularly tongue-twisting pod today. Do you have a favourite? No, but I've just been wrestling with with a headline about poll, politicians' poll pressures when it comes to floods. So... <laughs> yes, I'm. I am also alliteration, sort of, or alliteration doubt. <laughs> All right, and hello, Wendy. Oh, good morning, Andrew. I always get the impression that you do vocal warm ups as soon as you get up in the morning. I think you might have the wrong impression. <laughs> <laughs> so those your dulcet tones are just natural. <laughs> And hello, John. Hello. So, John, this will hopefully be your last pod for a couple of weeks, won't it? Well, yes, I, I'm supposed to be getting on an aeroplane on Saturday to go and visit friends and family in the UK. So, fingers crossed that 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 actually happens. We're all hoping you get there. Not because we don't want to see you or hear you, but uh, yeah, we hope you get there. Well, on to this week's main stories. John, the General Insurance Code Governance Committee, or the GICGC, as of those of us in the know call it, has released its annual report. What are the key takeaways? Yes, that's right. And a particularly interesting report, I guess, given that a new code came into effect over the last year or so. The main statistic is that self-reported breaches are up 27% to 41,768. And that's during the 2020-21 financial year. Now, you can see self-reported breaches as a positive. It's good that companies are identifying problems and reporting them rather than trying to cover them up or ignoring them. But at the same time, a breach is a breach and it's not a good thing. So the Code the code Governance Committee now wants to see those numbers coming down. The, the, the self-reported breaches have gone up for five years in a row. And yeah, it says that it wants to see a sharp decrease now in the coming years. So are they asking people to stop telling them that, they're, um, that there's breaches or is this... No, absolutely not. They, they they desperately want the breaches to be reported, but they don't want there to be a breach in the first place. So if you've got the, the right processes in place, then there shouldn't be a breach. And that's what they that's what they want. They they want companies to learn and so that we don't have these breaches happening at all. Okay. And what do um, most breaches relate to? Well, planes is right up there, I'm afraid. it's uh, So out of those 41,000, 26,000 related to claims. So that's well more than half, and um, that's up 56% on the previous year. So, I mean, we did have a story about brokers' concerns about claims the other day, and this statistic would appear to indicate that there are, well, there are a lot of breaches around claims and, and, and it's rising. Well, also the Life Insurers 
Code Compliance Committee made complaints with clear concerns on the claims, don't they, Wendy? Yes, they they found that uh, life insurers reversed about 45% of claims decisions after a customer complaint or request for a review. So the Independent Committee Chairman, Jan McClellan, says this suggests that claims assessment processes may be uh, inadequate, uh, but it, it's also poor customer service because you're exposing people to a potentially lengthy dispute resolution process at a time when they're already vulnerable. Looking at this potentially the other way around, does that just mean that you know, the squeaky wheel gets the uh, grease? Well, I don't, I don't know whether it means that, but um, I, don't, I don't think they would uh, reverse them if they could help it. But it, it does reflect all those people who perhaps didn't complain or request a review who maybe should have. So maybe, you know, you wonder whether it's the tip of the iceberg. Well, Terry, Wendy batted that away wonderfully. But given how important claims are, these are worrying statistics, aren't they? Well, yeah, claims are the main area of focus for the code, really. That's where the, the rubber really hits the road. And the main area, of course, where, where things go wrong. And there's an awful lot that can go wrong in claims without anybody ever intending it to happen. It's nice to know that self-reporting is happening. It's like saying, whoops, we forgot to do that. Sorry. But we have to hope that admitting your errors is followed up by fixing it and making sure it doesn't happen again. The, this big rise, I guess, is also a, a sign of the intense pressure the, the industry's been over for the past couple of years with, with catastrophes coming on top of COVID. Um, I know that the, the trend is going back further five years or so, but then so is the, the, the self-reporting regime is obviously working. When you look at it, all the strain they've been under with, with catastrophes on top of COVID, working from home, restrictions on movement, to name just a few things that got in the way. So while it's the, the fifth consecutive rise in reported breaches, you'd have to expect that that figure will reduce significantly in the future. It's a new and quite challenging code, but, but companies will be able to focus more on governance and compliance as life returns to a semblance of normal They've been a, a tad distracted, surviving a massive internal issues, really, that have been caused by external forces. Well, now, Wendy, as I mentioned, you were our budget correspondent last week. With a federal election looming, there were lots of initiatives to try and win over householders. But did the coalition offer up much for the insurance industry? Well, not as much as they could have. Um, there's, you know, an extra 150 million out of um, the emergency response fund, and some more uh, money provided to Black Summer uh, bushfire recovery program. Uh, when it comes to mitigation, I mean, the ICA was quite uh, diplomatic and said they welcomed what was provided, but there needs to be more uh, mitigation spending. Um, while Alliant said, you know, the spending on resilience clearly sure, falls short of the level needed and, and the budget in that regard was, was disappointing. On other things, there was um, a lot of money directed at cyber security, which, which was welcomed, but increased funding uh, to help people buy homes with only a small deposit could be a negative for lenders, mortgage insurers. And how does it compare with what Labor is promising? Labor actually announced in January that it would uh, revamp the uh, emergency response fund so it spends up to uh, $200 million a year on, on disaster prevention resilience, uh, which is actually really what uh, insurers have been asking for, um, for for quite a while. And But uh, insurers also want to see that level of funding matched by the states and territories. With the last election, we, um, we spoke to the financial services minister and shadow minister. Why don't we do that this year? Well, I can answer that one. We sent a set of questions to 
the coalition and to Labour. Unfortunately, the coalition didn't want to answer them. They they said that they'd answered them all before, which I would certainly dispute. But uh, yeah, they just pointed to a series of previous press releases and announcements. But um, yes, Labour were 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 more helpful. They they did uh, do their best to answer our questions, and there'll be a report in our upcoming magazine all about it. Well, do insurers or their representative groups ever pick sides in the lead up to election, Terry? Good question. Look, insurance industry leaders all all have their own personal political opinions, Um, some of them quite surprising. And they're often happy to, to voice them, but always behind closed doors. Publicly, they keep their opinions well to themselves, which I think is wise. The only time you'll hear the insurance industry itself commenting on politics, especially in the lead up to an election, is when a politician says something that has to be counted. Even then, it would most likely come from ICA or NEBA, say, than from an individual CEO. It'd have to be an extremely stupid policy for a company to pick sides. Surely there's enough of that. Well, the East Coast floods continue to dominate our headlines. Um, What updates were in our bulletin this week, John? Yes, we had quite a few different angles. So just to recap, we're up to almost uh, 170,000 claims now. And the total cost of that is is fast heading towards $2.5 billion. And we had a report from AM Best saying that reinsurers will take the brunt of this. But of course, what that means is that reinsurance rates are going to go up. So there's concern in the reinsurance market over the, the large number of catastrophe events. And those Australian insurers that rely on reinsurance will have to expect an increase. We also had a story from Swiss Re, which says there's a 38% natural catastrophe cover gap in Australia. So that that gap is really looking at the difference between economic losses and insured losses. And 38%, is that good? Is it bad? It's not the worst, but uh, it's, it's, it's worse than places like the UK on 25% and Switzerland on 26%. It is better than the US on 44% though. So there's obviously a desire to get as many losses insured as possible, but with, with the issues we've seen with flood cover, in places like Lismore, there's, there's obviously complications there. Finally, we also had an analysis written for us by HDI Global's local MD, Stefan Feldman, looking at what lessons we can learn from the latest flood events. And Stefan goes through a range of topics and looks at the different ways that we can mitigate this risk. All is not lost. There are ways we can do it. Broad community mitigation like levees and dams, but also on homes and businesses where simple measures can make a real difference. He also looks at the idea of whole towns being relocated, which we've talked about before, and says that while costly, current conditions suggest uh, such measures may be necessary in future. So yeah, Stefan's calling for everyone to get together, governments, businesses, the insurance industry to to really try and learn lessons from what's happened and make sure that we're better protected next time around. Terry, do you think we'll actually learn any lessons this time? Or will once the mainstream news agenda moves on, it'll all be forgotten? I guess I, I always come back to the the Productivity Commission statistic. Um, I, I think the Productivity Commission frequently brings reality to pol- politics, and it says 97% of disaster funding is spent after a catastrophe and just 3% on measures to minimise its effect. 
the industry learned the lessons and has been trying to teach them very, very many years ago. But the federal government in particular is a slow learner. We're making some, and I emphasise some, progress in getting governments and communities to understand the realities of flood and the need to fund projects that lower the risk of losing your home and business. Investing in resilience isn't the same as spending on recovery assistance, yet the government is acting as if they were. There's leadership needed here because there will be more catastrophes on the scale in the future, and we need the emphasis to switch to minimising the impacts in the first place. Otherwise, we'll always be chasing our tails. As for the media, um, they'll move on from covering the misery of the latest flood victims, the latest in a long list, I might add, and so will the pollies. As I think uh, the old saying goes, the dogs bark, the caravan moves on. No one except insurers will want to talk about investing in protection until, of course, it happens again. Well, finally, what's this about a COVID wave sweeping the industry, John? Well, yes, it's it's hard to be definitive on this uh, because companies don't tend to provide figures. Uh, uh, but uh, pretty much everyone we speak to at the moment says uh, they've got it. Someone else they know has got it. And the industry definitely seems to be under pressure. Obviously, there's an increase in COVID cases generally across the community at the moment. As we know, our involvement with the insurance industry sort of casts a, casts a light on what's going on there. Some have talked about the Steadfast Convention in Adelaide, where 1,600 people gathered as a potential contributor. And of course, that's possible. I myself came back from Steadfast uh, and tested positive two days later. Clearly, you, you can't know where you got it. And the convention was held with very strict entry requirements. You know, they, they, they did everything they could. They stuck to the rules of the venues. Nobody who wasn't uh, fully vaxxed was allowed in. So, you know, I guess it's just where we are now and, and we want to have these events. We want to see people in person again. And that comes with, with a bit of a risk, I guess, that you may get COVID, but, but thank goodness we're all mostly vaccinated. So for, the, for, for most of us, it won't be too bad. Well, at Insurance News, we can speak from first-hand experience, but there's not a huge amount anyone can do about it, is there, Terry, other than get vaccinated or go and, you know, crawl under a rock and never come out? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the point. We can take all the proper precautions, but we can't avoid COVID because at present it's everywhere. The, the steadfast convention organisers did all they possibly could to contain the risk, but mixing with people in any environment, be it at a convention, the local supermarket, a pub, a commuter train, or, or even your own family comes with a certain level of risk. If you're vaccinated, and understand your own health limitations, the risk of serious illness or even dying is a lot lower with Omicron. So you're right, Andrew, we can't stay locked down forever. It's time to step outside and get back to some semblance of normality, even if we do have an infectious outbreak from time to time. Well, that brings us to the end. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Terry McMullen and Wendy Pugh. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. 
We look forward to catching up again next week. 